Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Over the last uh, 24 hours, I don't know about you, the, the Lord, cultivating how the Holy Spirit speaks to you is really important, right? Learn how, right, it says in uh, Hebrews 5.14, the mature believers have trained themselves by reason of use to, to look and understand in their senses both good and evil. So there's this presence, you know, I often tell you, I'm getting electrocuted right now, that's the Lord like, yeah, I like that son, that's really good, you're speaking some truth right now, right? So pay attention to how the Holy Spirit speaks to you, cultivate that, right? I'm getting zapped right now, that's, ooh, yay. So um, the last 24 hours, the, the, it's like I'm in the middle of nowhere, did you like the bench I fixed? Did you get to see the new bench out front? No, no. Well, when she goes home, she was at the farm yesterday, so we had a broken down bench. I replaced it and painted it, and so I'm out there, and uh, that, that was not for any kudos other than the fact that I was out there working, and the Holy Spirit asked me a question. You know, I'm out there doing, you know, doing things, and it's a break in, right? It all of a sudden says, so um, how do you know if you're following the presence of the Lord? And I'm like, yeah, that's a download. Isn't it really good to know that when you're following the presence of the Lord as opposed to following something else, right? So six times in the last 24 hours, that question is broken in. It says, so how will you know that you're following the presence of the Lord? And so the title of the message today is, you've never traveled this way before. But when I heard that Joshua 3, 4, and I looked it up, and so let me ask you some questions. You know, there's always, the Lord deals with me in questions. And so, how do you know, how do you know that you're following the presence of the Lord? How do you know, for you personally? When you pull that back a little further, it says, well, what does the presence of the Lord look like? What does it feel like? What does it look like to you? What does it feel like to you, the presence of the Lord. The other question is, is there a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God? Right, the omnipresence of God, God's everywhere. Just, he says in Romans 1, just go look out there, look at the birds, the creatures, you're without excuse. You know there's a super designer, a super being who created all that. He says that's why you're without excuse. So, there's always the omnipresence of God. But how many times in your life are you not aware of his presence? So there's a difference between his ever-present everywhere and then the manifest presence when he shows up. And everybody knows, or at least those who are tuned, God is here. I remember Randy Clark and I, <laughs> I love this statement. It's from one of Randy's books, I forget which one. We were in uh, uh, Manaus on the Amazon River in Brazil. And uh, this is a church of about 10,000. They didn't have enough money to finish the church. So they had this hewn stage. It was huge with a dance team. It was incredible. And, uh, but they had enough money to put the tin roof on of this 10,000-person church, but no sides. And so we're there, and it's dry season, and as a team, I think there were like 40 of us with us. I was up on the stage with Randy, and Randy makes this kind of wild statement as an opener. says, Lord, let the rain of your spirit fall in this house. 
And as soon as he finishes that word, there's a crack of thunder. Boom! And the whole wall, everything shakes like, whoa, that was timely. (laughs) And the Brazilian pastor who was my translator said, you know, when the Holy Spirit shows up here, it always rains. (laughs) Within a few minutes, you hear this drop on on this tin roof. All of a sudden, it is downpouring. And it hasn't rained in three months. And I remember there was a, a group of 25 signers over here, and a, there was a group of de- uh, deaf mutes, and they were signing the message, and there's no sides on the walls of the church. And all of a sudden, the wind starts blowing, and it mists on all of the 25 that are over here. And all of a sudden, 10 or 12, we have it on film, I forget the number, start speaking and hearing. And they're talking to their signers. And the signers are crying. They're, they're bawling their eyes out. They go, and all of a sudden, a woman over here stands up and says, I can see, I can see. And I'm like, and, and we're like, Randy's looking at what's going. He turns to me, he goes, we've lost control and God's here. It's like, you think? You, you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, that's kind of obvious when the, the manifest presence is here. The deaf mutes are, you know, so there's this, this thing about how do you know when the manifest presence, because you will see. You will start to see. When they respond to the altar call, when Ben shared on Friday night about his testimony of being brutalized and beaten and bullied, and then he gets up there, and then these people come to the front. The manifest presence is there. We see it when we, we engage in worship. We come in with stuff, right? And then all of a sudden, the worship team starts gathering we already know he's here. Two or three in his presence is here. But then the manifest presence comes. Amen. And all the stuff that was bothering you is just kind of like takes a back seat. The manifest presence of God. Amen. Well, let me ask another question. Does the presence of God always cause a reaction of peace? No. Depends on are you a son or a daughter? <laughs> Uh, are you in a place where you're not walking right with God? You'll get convicted, but we've been in a place when the Holy Spirit manifests, uh, the demonic doesn't like it, and it reacts, and it goes, you know, it gets kind of weird. You can see some strange things that happens there. So, because Jesus said in Matthew 12, one of the great teachings he does in Matthew 12 on deliverance, right? He says, when I cast a demon out, the kingdom of God has come among you. Right? Light and darkness. When you're, when you're in that place where uh, when you walk in the room and you turn on, it's dark, and you turn on the light and it doesn't come on, you don't say, what's wrong with the darkness? No, what you do is, what's wrong with the light? Right? Because the light always beats out the darkness, right? So there's this place where the, the manifest presence can cause a reaction that can be positive or negative. It's always redemptive. It's always a place where it's drawing them in or exposing We've had people come in here. I remember a few years ago, some of you remember, there was a lady sitting over here, first-time visitor. Not, this is not for you guys, no, no manifestation of concerns. But as soon as the worship started, she went into a catatonic state. She sat there for over two and a half hours. You remember this? Right? And she didn't know where she was. She was brought up by a friend, and uh, worship ended. She's still there. And you can't get the human personally back. There were a lot of open doors, we found out later, because I believe these two ladies did ministry to her after that, a couple of weeks later. The point of that was, when the darkness is exposed, some people will get, feel sick, they'll want to run, they get tormented. Um, So when the manifest presence comes, there's going to be a reaction. 
And you can gauge sometimes by the reaction by what is happening. For those that are in darkness or rebellion, it can be really an unpeaceful or a point of conviction. But I love what the definition of kingdom, Romans 14, 17. You know this one? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in Holy Ghost, right? So the kingdom, Romans 14, 17, that's a good one to memorize. Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God, it's not meat or drink, the kingdom of God is righteousness, You're in a right place with God. You have been declared right with God. We're going to look at this many, many scriptures on. You become righteous by faith in Christ. Heirs and joint heirs of the promise. Because of your faith in Christ, you become in right standing with God. That is powerful. That's why you can come right into the presence of God without fear, right? Because the blood is so powerful. So, So we see this, that that presence that's everywhere we want it to manifest. There's some scriptural references here in Ezekiel. We're going to turn to some scriptures in a minute. Ezekiel 39, 29. Don't turn there yet. Just listen. Ezekiel 39, 29, he says, I will no longer hide my face from them. I will pour out my spirit upon them. It says a very similar thing in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2. Remember when the Holy Spirit falls on Pentecost? Acts two seventeen, he says this, I will pour out my spirit in the last days upon all flesh. So what does a poured out spirit look like? What does that look like? When the Holy Spirit pours out on you and you get all wet in the Holy Spirit, like a baptism, right? When he's poured out on you, there's something that manifests in your heart. This is like, he says, I'm not going to hide my face anymore. I'm going to pour it out on them. They're in pursuit of me. I'm going to, I'm going to pour it on them. And when that starts happening, it's like the manifest. I love what um, uh, Becca Greenwood, the prophetic word is, it's not going to be a visitation. It's going to be a habitation. He's going to live. There are these portal areas. There are these places where he comes in his manifest presence. You see it in Moravian Falls, right? The Moravians prayed for like 100 years. They times up there when the rocks glow. There's this, there is consecrated areas in the ground. And so we're after what does it look like in the manifest presence. But what I shared with you last week, when revival power and purpose comes, there's a dangerous road to revival. If you didn't hear this one last week, go online and get it. Because if you don't understand the season you're in, it can be really, really dangerous. I use several examples, right? Ananias and Sapphira. The one Peter who lies three times that he denies Christ and curses that he knew Christ is the one who exposes Ananias and Sapphira who lies about giving their own money to the church. And they drop dead, both of them. What was different? How come Peter didn't drop dead when he denied Christ? Holy Spirit manifest presence in the midst of a revival, the road is different. You need to recognize the season you're in. The stuff that might might have gotten grace on before, be very, very careful about where you are, especially when you're ministering. It's not gonna mix Christianity with other stuff of rebellion. It's time to get that out and off in Jesus' name. So let me ask another question. Since we're saying we've never been this way before, Holy Spirit's saying you've never been this way before. We've studied the revivals. They're all different. 
But if you've never been this way before, you've got to follow the Holy Spirit to know where to go and how to do it. So let me ask some some natural questions which we'll then apply a, a spiritual principle to. If you've never been to this new place, what do you do to prepare to go to that new place? First you want to figure out, well, how are we going? Are we going to walk, take a car, are we going to plane, are we going to travel? Do we have a map? Do you know the address of where you're going? <laughs> we, you know, it's like the breadcrumbs. I think I heard this, we're going to follow the breadcrumbs because we read it this morning in Psalm 37 in our pre-service prayer. He directs our pathway. He puts the lamp to your feet, but he doesn't necessarily show you the end point of all of it. So you've got to know where you're going, at least in general, or who's leading, who's, who's driving. And then you're going to ask the question, who's responsible for what? Are the kids going? Who's going to take care of the dog? Somebody going to feed the fish? Right? These are the details. You do this naturally. It's like we're getting ready to do something. Do we have gas in the car? Oil and lamp. We're leaving the familiar and we're on our way to something totally different. Well, we see this in the similar in the, in the, in the spiritual realm. An example, this week, thank you volunteers, when the fire marshal said it's been seven months, take your tent down, and then we realized, wow, we got a 2,000 person tent that Jesse and Parker have brought with Saturate, let's put that up. Well, we looked at where's that gonna fit? Well, it doesn't fit. <laughs> So we quickly responded, we got to get drain lines in, we got to get gravel in, we got to put up tent, we got to get volunteers, we got to get a fire marshal's permit, we got to run power, we got to run sound. This is all preparation. So we had, I don't know, 25, 30 volunteers out there. I know, I went home Thursday like, oh, get me to my bed, all right? <laughs> Daniel and Lance were here till midnight. That was a, almost a 24-hour day, or anyway just setting it all up. And still, Friday night, we're running at the last minute to get power cords to make everything because the sound is popping and breaking. Like, we're going to get the things totally worked out. But what's, the point of this is there's preparation. Preparation in the natural that prepares for the 9, 10, 20 people baptized, saved, healed, delivered. There's a preparation in the natural that must be made in order to facilitate the manifest presence. That means you and I have to be in a place where we are in his presence seeking after what do I need to do naturally to prepare myself also spiritually. Because Paul goes on, it's in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says that you are a royal priesthood, right? You're a, you're a nation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You are the living stones that are put together in the temple of God. Your living stone needs to be on fire with everyone else's fire so that, that when he comes, that presence is manifest. And guess what? Sin in the camp will destroy it. Go and look at chapter 6 of Joshua in Ai. One character who decides to violate the word. Don't you take any of the stuff from Jericho. None of the plunder. 35 Israelis, innocent Israelis, die as a result of one person's sin. And Joshua's like discouraged. He's laying on his face. He's like, oh my God. And the Lord comes in, what are you doing? Get up and deal with the defilement in the camp. So I'm telling you, there's a sharp eye out for looking for what's going on and who's on our ministry team. Nobody's going to be winking at sin. Are you hearing me? Okay, so this is that preparation of the journey that we're on, and all that natural preparation 
helps to facilitate. But there is a dangerous road. When you don't recognize the road you're on, when we go up to visit our churches in Nepal, we have 106 or seven churches now. Our Pastor Prem called me yesterday. And uh, when you go up into the Himalayas to visit our churches in the outmost regions, I'm not exaggerating, you will be two feet from a 4,000 foot drop in your Land Rover. And if you don't have the right Sherpa drivers in a four-wheel drive Land Rover, oftentimes during, you who've been with me on these trips, there are times during the year they lose whole caravans of people off the side. You don't understand, you don't go there during the rainy season unless you run. There's a preparation for the journey you're on in the right vehicles. (laughs) You're seeing it in the spirit realm. You see what I'm saying? We're in a different place and we have to steward it and we also need to be prepared. So now let's look at your handout. And let's open to Joshua chapter three. I'm gonna summarize chapter one to get to chapter three, what he says, but in chapter one of Joshua, I've got a, I've got a parallel Bible, so I've got King James on one side and New Living Translation on the other, so I have a word-for-word translation and the thought-for-thought. I like to bounce between both. In Joshua chapter one, he says in verse two, my servant Moses is dead, therefore the time has come, he says to Joshua, to lead these people in the Israelites across the Jordan River into the land that I'm giving them. I promised you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on the land I have seen, you have seen and I've given to you. He goes on, he says, For I will be with you as I was with Moses, and I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. And that's often preached over and over again as be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And then he prepares the the tribes, those especially that was going to camp on the other side. He gets the warriors together, and he says, come and follow me. And they get ready. It says, get ready. Look at verse 11. Chapter 111 says, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. Here's the natural. In three days you will cross the Jordan to take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 18, they they come out and make this commitment that says, the leadership says, if anyone rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything that you command will be put to death. And then he emphasized again, so be strong and courageous. Then you know the story of Rahab and the spies and Jericho. In chapter three, early the next morning, Joshua and verse one, all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan where they camped before the crossing. Three days, there's always something special about these three days. Three days in the grave. Three days later, the Israelites' officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priesthood carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, your God, the Ark is always the presence, move out from your positions and follow them since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Now here's a warning, stay about a half a mile behind. Keep the clear distance between you and the Ark, make sure you don't come any closer. Verse five. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. How do you purify yourself? 
It's a question. All right? Confession, repentance, communion. Lord, show me my heart. Dealing with your stuff. Being in a congregation where iron sharpens iron and, you know, I'm really good with everybody. It's just when I'm around people. All right? <laughs> so there's no lone rangers in this. So this is... This is part of that purification process that he does, right? So in the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the ark of the covenant, lead the people across. And so they get to this place where they cover the ark. He tells them, when you step in the water, the Jordan's gonna back up. And it's just a great, again, a miracle where it backs all the way up. It's now this place, even during the harvest season when the Jordan is flowing, it's miraculous, and all of the people cross by and while they're crossing by, he tells them, make the memorial stones. I like what uh, Saturday does. I, I don't know if you've got baptized yet, but you need to write your name on one of those rocks they have in the back of the tent. Build this whole legacy wall. Look at all the people that got baptized. Build this rock wall. I love that idea, right? We have a legacy box back there of uh, soil and ground and places we've been to that are in our legacy box, right? It's the, it's the, it's the box of remembrance, it's that place where we look at what God has done in the past. So he says, get ready, cross over. The Lord will guide you, but purify yourselves in the midst of it. So if you look at your outline, as the leaders went through the camp and made this preparation direction, we're going to look at Exodus 19, because there's, there's plenty of places, Old Testament and New Testament, where it says, Purify yourself or consecrate your life. So look at Exodus 19 with me. Moses, the presence of God is, is falling. He's come down with the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 19, let's look at verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 19:10. The Lord said to, to, told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Woo-hoo. Manifest presence. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing and be sure that they're ready on the third day. For on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as the people watch. Mark off the boundaries all around the mountain and warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch the boundaries, anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or the animal that crosses that boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. Ooh, that's quite a service. So there's this place where basically he says, stay in your lane. Know your lane, right? Don't you assume somebody else's lane or responsible, don't you step into something that is not yours, know your boundaries, and be in that place of consecration. You're not in charge, he is, right? And he's got leadership in the right place of being led by the Holy Spirit. So he says, be careful, warn the people. So we see that in Exodus. Look at B there, 1B, purify your life. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter six, let's go to a New Testament version of this. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. They, were, they needed a lot of instruction. And Paul makes an amazing statement here how he proves his righteousness, his purity, his consecration. Verse six, 
2 Corinthians 6.6. 6. King James says, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, and by love unfeigned. New Living says it this way, we prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by sincere love. That'll, that'll mark you. That's a way of test. So how are you doing in your righteousness? That sounds like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, mercy, self-control. So we see that, and that's out of Galatians 5. So we see that one of the proofs. Look, drop down. In verse 14, he says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Whoa. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light dwell with dark or live with darkness? What harmony can they be between Christ and the devil? Now, this doesn't mean you don't go out and find the lost and broken, right? The Isaiah 61 church that we have had prophesied over, the broken, the lost, those that need healing. So we go, but be careful that you don't walk with them in a way that gets you contaminated. Too many stories of thinking that you're, you can do this and then you get slimed and you wonder why you've fallen into the pit. Jude warns that as well. Pull them and snatch them from the flames of judgment, but watch out that you don't fall into the same pit. So there's this place of, of wisdom and revelation there. Look at verse one of chapter seven. Because we have these promises, 7-1, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. So what's defiling your spirit, man? Probably what you're watching, what you're thinking, what you're speaking, who you're hanging with, what you're studying, what you're looking on YouTube. That will defile your spirit man, right? Or the natural things. What are you doing in the natural that causes you to be defiled? So he's warning us. Paul's telling us, look, cleanse yourselves from these things. I realize that 1 John 1, 9, I love this. We, we deal with this in prayer ministry. And I had this question asked to me many times when people come for deliverance or inner healing. They said, how come I'm a believer? I believe I've confessed, but I'm still tormented. 1 John 1, 9 says, confess your sins to him. He's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. So he cleans your slate. When you honestly come in repentance and said, God, forgive me, he washes it as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. But then how come James 5 says this? The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous shall accomplish much. Confessing your sins one to another that you might be sozoed. Greek, saved, healed, and delivered. Something happens in that place where we come with two or three others. Let everything be established by two or three witnesses. He says, when you confess your sin, when you get humble to the place where I'm so embarrassed to tell you this, but here it is. Something breaks when that stuff that's hidden comes out of the darkness and comes here, it loses its power, and then it becomes your testimony. Amen. So there's something that you need both. It's like, I don't, Jesus will take me and set me free. Yes, he can. He can sovereignly do whatever. But many times you have to come and gang up on the devil, two or three together, and when you come transparently and said, look, here's humility. Humble yourself before God. That might be the people that's ministering to you because he's there. Humble yourself before, draw close, he draws close, then resist the devil. There's something about that process that sets us free. So there's, there's a choice we all have. 
What is it that's going on right now that would hinder the very presence of a region that could come on fire for God? We just need people to come into place. No, this is too serious. This is too, this is such a time as this. Capture the moment. Don't miss the moment. For your family, for others. The people who were coming here, the other, Miss Addie and I prayed with this young man from Fayetteville and it was like, wow. Go sit right next to Miss Addie. She's going to pray for you. That's good. He's got pressure right there. So, Lord, right now that confirmation, we're just going to soak in prayer. That's good. What's your first name? Aaron. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being transparent, Aaron. So, Lord, we just pray right now for Aaron to be set free in the name of Jesus. We cut him free from all that, that pressure. Lord, we come and come against any place where darkness has tried to hinder his walk. Any fear? In the name of Jesus. We're going to pray for you through this. So we, thank you, Lord. So we, we see this presence of God where in the Old Testament, this is amazing, right? Look at the, see there, it says confession and action. There's where James and John tells us that we can go right into the very presence of God, confessing to him, confessing to each other. Number two, the Old Testament, I, I like this transition. In the Old Testament is keep your distance from God's presence. Don't get too close. Look what happened to Uzzah, right? He's trying to do the right thing. They didn't understand the word. 200 years before, they were told in about seven or eight different places, do not cover the, the Ark of the Covenant must be carried on the priesthood. And Uzzah's trying to do the right thing, but they've loaded the presence on an ox cart. It was a new one, right? It was the latest, but... It, when a thing starts to fall, Uzzah tries to do the right thing, and he's struck dead because you don't understand the season you're in, and you don't know how to carry the presence. That's not the way the presence is carried. It'll get you killed. Look at Aaron's sons. They brought strange fire. They were told specifically what to do. They don't, the scriptures don't go into details, but they brought strange fire on the altar, and they were both killed. Says incense, man, maybe they brought marijuana. Maybe they, I don't know. I don't know, but all I know is when God tells you to do something, follow it specifically. He'll give you lots of grace when you're not sure. I remember things we did on the mission field on our early trips. We were, we were very unsure. Of what we, all we knew is we had an assignment, and God filled in the gaps. Lots of assignments helped us through. Okay, but in the New Testament, look at number three. In the New Testament, we're told to draw near. Draw near. So in the Old Testament, don't get too close. That presence, you're, what's, what has changed? Jesus. The one who has given us a better covenant. The old covenant, says in Hebrews, has now become obsolete. There's a more precious covenant by the blood of Jesus. Let's look at some scriptures that, man, you, I love to tell the devil this when he tries to mess with me. Turn with me, if you will. Look at uh, Hebrews 10, 19. I kind of read this when we were doing communion, but I want to emphasize it. Hebrews 10, 19, the power of the blood. Brothers and sisters, Hebrews 10, 19, Come boldly. What does that look like? 
What is a boldness coming right into the presence of God? I would really recommend that what you do this, when you get quiet with God, just, man, it's so wonderful. I had, you know, we've been moving houses and all sorts of stuff and setting tents. It's like, woo, glory to God, right? Moving my mom. And so finally I made, I said, I gotta make a space. I just got quiet, got on my knees, and it was in a few seconds, all of a sudden it's like, oh. Yeah, praise the Lord. Make a space, make an ark of your heart because he's here, right? So the difference between Old Testament and New Testament is, don't you, he tells, tells us, know you not that you are, the, you are filled with the temple, you are the temple of the living God? You are a temple of the living God? You are a temple of the living God? Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and quickens your mortal body. Yes. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and quickens your mortal body. Come on. Yes. Like, I'm getting electrocuted right now. It's that, yeah. when, when that word starts falling, it's like, make room for him. It's like, ooh, yes, Lord. Get a refill and say, so draw close. You don't have to be afraid. He tells us, you can go right into the presence of God. Look at verse 22. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Our guilty consciences have been sprinkled. When the devil says, well, you did this, you did that. Remember your past. And he goes, just remind him what his future will be, right? Just say, look, that's the blood of Jesus has already paid for that, and he will not pay a second time. So every time he's sitting there whispering to you, tell him to shut up and get behind me, and let me tell you where you're going. I'm already redeemed by the blood of Jesus, right? So he's that, that's the place where we're going to go. Look at this one, Colossians. Another one is like, woo, Colossians. Colossians makes it even more clear. He did it all. Jesus did it all. Colossians chapter 1. That whole thing, Christ the supreme being. Colossians 1.15, all the way down. But let's pick up in verse, woo, verse 18. Colossians 1.18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. He, the God in all of his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And though through him, God has reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now look at this. This is really great news. This includes you and me who were once far away from God, you were his enemy, separated from him by evil thoughts, evil actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you're holy, and you're blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That is really good news. Do you, do you want to get that good news in your heart? Like, single, God, do you, do you, do you, I know you know everything, but did you see my thoughts yesterday? Did you see my critical, yeah. Once you let that go, you are free. You are free. As far as east is from the west, don't you pick it up. This is one of the devil's strategies. He whispers. Remember a few months back, I gave you that script, those scriptures on fix your thoughts on what is right, pure, and holy, and just? Every prayer minister, I hammer this. I give my hand out. you got to find out those four origins of thought that come. They're realms. Fix, find out which realm it's coming from, and don't you buy it. Only the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Truth. John 14, 15, 16, right? So this is that place. Let's move on. 
So he is mediated. Number four, he mediates this greater covenant. The presence goes before us and we follow. Develop your memorial stones. I don't know what you're doing in your house or your home or with your children, your grandchildren. Develop memorial stones. These are like, they become the, the way we, I, I love it. We got our little two-year-old, um, Rosalie. She is so trained by her three older siblings on prayer and everything, and she'll tell you, we haven't prayed before we eat, right? So I'm sitting there about ready to dive into this burrito, the other, Papa, we need to pray. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. (laughs) These are memorial stones. It's like, and it's, man, I'm telling you, just develop, no matter whether it's just one, what is your memorial stones? What are the remembrance points? There can be um, in the back of your Bible all the, all the words that were given to you that's like, well, that hasn't manifest yet, but now they are. Like, so develop your memorial stones. Then I love this scripture in, in chapter se- uh, number seven there, the law of faith. Bishop de- deals with this a lot. The law of faith is superior to the law of works. Right, Romans 3, 20 through 27. Let's turn there. We're going to go there. Um, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. No, Romans chapter 3. You can go to 5 too, Katie, but we're, right now we're going to go to 3. They're all there. Hallelujah. I love my daughter. She keeps me straight a lot of times. Ah, thank you, Lord. Okay, God is faithful. He says, look at all the scriptures I listed there. Verse 21, 22, 24, 25, 26, 28, 29. Then go to Romans 4, 11, 13, 22, 24, 25. You think Paul was trying to get, or the writer, yeah, Paul wrote Romans. Romans 5, 9, and 17. You have been made the righteousness of Christ. Look at verse 21. My Bible titles this, Christ took our punishment. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Verse 22, we are made right with Christ by placing our faith in Christ. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Verse 28, you're made right with God through faith. Verse 39, verse 30, there is only one God and he makes people right with him. Are you getting the picture? I, I think I counted, you are made right. There's this really wonderful promise that we have the same promises that Abraham had. In Galatians chapter three, you are heirs and joint heirs of the promise. You realize how wealthy you are? Your daddy's really rich, okay? And, and this is like, and I think a lot of what we, Bishop says, you know, there's a checking account there. We just, we don't write the checks. <laughs> and so, man, so I want us to see that you have been made right with Christ in that place of following him. Your faith has made you right with him. That's why you can draw near and come right into his presence. So if you've got this insecurity about Abba, the Father, that I would suggest you go to prayer ministry. When 
when we get to that place, we're realizing there's no separation between your spirit and his spirit. And when that happens, all the wounds, the brokenness, the abuse, the lies, the insecurities, the low self-esteem, your failure, guess what? He trumps all that. <laughs> and I'd really suggest that you do this. Leif Hetland taught it, right, when we did the kingdom principles, principles of kingdom living there, the blueprint for kingdom living. He says, who, does, who do you think God says you are? What do you say God says you are? It's kind of like, what do you really believe about yourself? And if you know these words, then you'll realize you are dearly loved and he's got this place for you. That is so freeing. It's like, I'm not perfect. I like that. Philippians 1, he says, he who began the work, Philippians 1, 6, he who began the work will perform it to the day he comes. So I started over here a big mess, right? And then he says in, in, in Ephesians, you're a masterpiece, even though you feel like a masterpiece, right? And so you're on this journey. He's working. He's working even when you don't see him working. He's working. He's working, right? And he's cleaning you up, and he's like, oh, God, that was really hard, yeah, and I humbled myself, and I asked for it. And he, he's working. He's working. And he's performing this work in you until the day comes. And I'm not that same guy, but I'm going to be something even better. But I'm already better because he said I'm better. How does that work? It's like, yay, God. So you need to just recognize how loved you are. You know, when somebody dies for you, right? There's no greater love than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. He's your friend. He died that you would, so this ideal, oh, I'm not good enough, I gotta work for this, I gotta be better, I gotta perform, no. Yes, work, when you get there, keep working, right? Because it it says, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, but that doesn't get you saved. So this is that place where God says, there are, look at the last part of this, bottom page, kingdom family privileges for following the presence. You know, for 23-something years, we've been in pursuit of what's happening right now. Now, we have sown into the nations. We've gone there. We've seen breakthroughs. We saw revival in Brazil. But we've always said, Lord, would you do it here? Would you do it here, right? I remember years ago, standing in in, uh, Longleaf Park and declaring over the hill, Lord, let this be a city of refuge where the broken can come. We didn't know anything. We didn't know about prophecies. And so there's been something about this, we're in pursuit. And I just, just don't want to miss it. We were close. I told you, we were in Moravia, we were in Magnolia with the tent, 5,000 person tent. Miracles were falling in the tent. Gold teeth was being given out and those who were in, addicted in the, that were part of the cleanup um, there at that facility. And then the religious spirit rose, said, get the tent off here, that can't be God. I'm gonna close with a warning. In Matthew chapter 12, you might want to turn there. I wasn't going to go there, but let's go there. In Matthew 12, Jesus does this incredible teaching on deliverance. But then he gives a warning. First of all, he, he casts a demon out. Matthew 12, verse 22. A demon possessed man who's both blind and couldn't speak. So he's got an infirm spirit that's caused him to have blindness and a muteness. They bring him to Jesus, he heals the man. 
Matthew 12, 22. And now he can see and he can speak. And the crowd's amazed because they realize this is a sign of Messiah. Some are saying maybe he's the Messiah. But the Pharisees, they say, no, he's actually the prince of demons. He's wielding this power, basically, because he's the head demon. Then Jesus, knowing their thoughts, here we're words of knowledge. We'll cover this on Wednesday night when we do words of knowledge. Jesus knows their thoughts and replies, you know, a kingdom divided can't stand. Look at verse 28. But if I cast out a demon by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom has arrived among you. For who is more powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? So he's saying, I'm stronger than Satan. I just plundered his good. I brought blindness and muteness out. Only someone stronger. But then he goes on, he says, be careful. Anyone who isn't with me is opposing me, isn't working with me, is actually working against me. And if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you'll never be forgiven. You can say whatever you want about Jesus, he says. I I wouldn't recommend any of that, but you'll know a tree by its fruit. So when we start moving in the spirit, I remember the first day I walked in here in my three-piece suit working for General Electric, and I came in here. My wife had been here four weeks, and I sat down in my three-piece suit, and I didn't see anybody else with three-piece suits on. And there were flags thing, and there were people rolling on the floor, and there were people dancing all around. I'm like, oh, Lord, this is a cult. we got to get out of here. My wife turned to me and says, just be quiet and sit down. I'm in the back there by where Jim is. And... You didn't say that? Well, that's what I heard. Praise God. (laughs) It might have been the look. You ever get one of those wife looks? Anyway. (laughs) It was a look. She said it was a look. It communicated a lot of words. And I was quiet. I wanted to eat the next few months, right? So anyway, so, so anyway, I'm there, and I'm like, man, oh, man. And I was critical of the spirit presence that was operating because it was unfamiliar to me. Just because you have an experience doesn't mean it's not God. Because you're not God, nor am I. So I'm glad he didn't, you know, zap me. He had a lot of grace. For those that are like, so when you start seeing things, like Friday night, we have three phone calls from our neighbors next door that one was really not nice. And the other two were kind of nice. Turn the noise down. It's over here. My living room is <laughs> loud. And so... And then you look out, it's like there's people crying, they're snotting, they're laying on the floor, the people getting baptized, the people crying, the people getting delivered. It's holy chaos. <laughs> Which is exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. Look what happened in Acts chapter 2, right? They get accused of being drunk at 9 in the morning. And there's the mockers, those that are amazed, and those that were perplexed. There's four categories of people in Acts chapter 2. What I'm telling you is test the spirit. Test all things, but if it's strange to you, it doesn't necessarily mean it's strange fire. We're going to ask the Lord and trust the leadership because we're going to follow the Holy Spirit. And if he wants to give gold teeth to people, I had this guy, religious guy, that, that the, when we had the tent up in this other place, he goes, that can't be God. He goes, why would God give gold teeth to people? Well, they saved them thousands of dollars worth of bridge work. I mean... <laughs> And, you know, God can give, you know, I give gold to my bride. She likes diamonds and all that, right? I'm not wearing it today. Oh, my goodness. She's at the farm. Okay. Anyway, so if God can give gold to his bride, 
it's not a bad thing, but it's not in the book. There's a lot of things not in the book. We're going to follow the book because the book is a clear word for us. So are you guys okay with where we're going on this? So what's the takeaway? You ask the Lord, where are the defilements? He popped me the other night about some thoughts and stuff I was having in my mind. And just ask the Lord to show you your heart. And then purify yourselves. Consecrate yourself. Check what you're thinking. Check what you're saying. Check where you're hanging out, who you're hanging with. What does it look like at work? Are you a secret agent at work? Undercover agent for Christ? Or are you real? What? You know, be wise, but at the same time, let's be real. Because we want, I don't want to miss this. I just don't want to miss it. There's too much at stake. What happens if this whole region gets so fired? It is. It's going to get us so fired up. They, they, we, we, we have this opportunity of fulfilling the Derek Prince prophecy. They will come. The kings and queens will come and study the phenomenon. Greater than the Welsh revival. Becca Greenwood said the master key was found. We got the keys, right? The prophetic words, the keys, the doors, the gates have been opened. Right? He's magnifying what's going on, right? He's showing us what's going on, and the time is now. These are prophetic words. So let's not miss it. So let's stand to our feet. I'm going to invite the ministry team. You know who you are. Come on up. If you're here this morning... I would like to pray for you. Come on up here. Mama Addie, bring them bring up here. So, Lord, I thank you. Put some background music on, Dan, please, Daniel. Lord, we just come before you and we thank you for your presence this morning. Lord, we lift up every circumstance around your people. And, Lord, we pray for the move of your presence that sets us free, Lord, from everything that would try to hinder us. Lord, we pray and we thank you. Let the revival fires burn bright, that you become famous. You're already famous, but we want you famous here. We want Wilmington and the southeastern North Carolina to be known as the place where Jesus has manifested his presence. He has come to manifest his presence there so that people come and they can dip their water in their foot in the river and they can be healed. And I thank you. God bless you all. Don't forget Monday night, Kingdom Men, Kingdom Women. Wednesday night, teaching on, if you need to pick up a manual, they're on the back foyer. God bless you all. Pick up a flyer on the way out too. Invite people to come.